Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so the international break finally ended with a serious bang this game week as goals galore, particularly in the 3 p.m.s, made the first weekend back well worth waiting for. Welcome back to FPL Podcasting as well. It's going to be a long slog uh, throughout the rest of this calendar year with so much action to come. But we are, as always, who got the assist? I'm Tom. Uh, find me on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL. My co-host is Anthony at FPL Stag. The lead code is 2IP. For free tea. And we've got a guest this week. So regular listeners will know we at WGTA are well known for giving a platform to little known accounts, trying to find their way and build their audience. Last year, we had some guy called Mark. It was a direction, Anthony, I'm sure. Northern, Eastern. Western, I think, actually. Yeah. Something like that. And we've also had Mark, another Mark, um, FPL Brigadier or something. Um, anyway, he's done the right for himself too. Continuing that vein, we'd like to welcome Debutant Andy, who I believe is on Twitter at Let's Talk underscore FPL. I think you've got a YouTube channel somewhere too, right? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, welcome, uh, Andy, to our, well, relatively Amdram podcast compared to what you're used to these days. Probably the lowest tech video you've done in quite a while. Um, really great to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I'll tell you now, if people saw how I do my videos, I, th- I think the production is not quite as uh, good as it probably looks, to be honest. But yeah, thank you very much for having me. Long time. So you, you guys have been one of the first podcasts around, right? One of the first mainstream podcasts anyway. So yeah, good to be on. Great to get you on, Andy. And it's uh, been coming in the pipeline for quite some time. So good to have you here. Um, and, this... and, sorry, nope. just I can I can pronounce Doherty properly as well. So Which is a very, very important thing on this podcast, especially. <laughs> It's exact same sound stag. So yeah, uh, this part anyway, what we're going to be doing is not looking, unfortunately, at Matt Doherty or any of the rest of the Republic of Ireland players who had such a great international break. Instead, what we're going to be trying to work out is what's going on with the strikers. We're going to be looking at the current situation, why there's been patchy returns across the board, and if we can find any solution. A hint, probably not. But what we're going to do, first of all, is start off with the Game Week reviews, which has been a bit all over the place for um, all of us. It's one of those weeks, I think, where the template continued to win out. Um, but I think, Andy, we're going to come to you first. Yeah, yeah, pretty much as you said. It was um, it's just another rubbish week, really. I, I, I can't complain too much. Right? I'm still in the top 100k, which after 12 weeks is, is fine. Like, I'm not worried about it. But it's just four red arrows in five now. And it's just another week where I don't own Reese James. And therefore... Uh, things didn't go too well. Like overall, I've got Chilwell, I've got Trent, I've got Cancelo. I just don't have that fourth 
defender that a lot of other people have got. Yeah. And that and that is like that's been the problem for the last few weeks, really. Uh no jottery, there's another power wide. Foden came off before 60th minute. Like it was just all apart from Jimenez, and obviously, you know, Salah's like whatever at the moment, isn't he, really? Um, yeah, it's just another just just a bit of a meh week. Like 69's fine. It's just not as good as everyone else. It was another red arrow. So yeah, just a bit rubbish in the moment. Always a bit of quite a satisfaction than getting a 69, though, isn't there? Yeah. Yes, yes. That's one I always wanted to stop on. I always keep getting 68 or 70s. But enough about my personal life. Anthony, how are you doing? Um, a little bit better. So 73 points this week. Um, this was kind of one of those weeks where finally moving back towards the template, still fixing the calamitous wildcard in game week three, where I, sell, I sold Trent Alexander-Arnold. I finally got him back in. He came in for Connor Cody as part two of my free transfers. Okay, yes, I did miss out in the clean sheet with Cody, but in the overall scheme of things, I was happier to finally stop being punished again by Trent Alexander-Arnold. So at least I got his 15 points, because honestly, this would have been a calamitous game week had I not had those 15 points. I, a bit like Andy, <clears throat> don't have Reese James. I did have Rudiger, so at least I had Kinsella Rudiger and Trent Alexander-Arnold. But I feel like at this point, a lot of managers had the benefit of four high-scoring defenders. My fourth defender was Livramento, who, you know, whilst um, I'm happy with his returns uh, so far this season, I obviously would have loved to have had another decent return from a forward. I also brought in with my free transfer, Guaita, Tom, just to join you. Uh, he came in for Robert Sanchez. I ba- Basically, what happened was is all my great talk about wanting to have a premium goalkeeper, et cetera, et cetera. And I just didn't have the money no. in the end to do it. It's kind of a lie. I did have the money to do it, but I would have had to not get Trent this week or I would have had to take a hit somewhere else. Wasn't doing that. I just used my two free transfers and I was okay with that. So look, at least a 73 points was good enough to get me a bit of a green arrow. But I think that just belies how I've been doing so far this season that it's got me up to 525k, which isn't much good. Just to run through the rest of my side, given I've done just the keeper and defence. I had Son. uh, He got a two-pointer. Saka came in off the bench. He got a two-pointer. He came in for Rafinha, who obviously was ill. I had Salah captain like every man and their dog. And then up top, I ended up with Tony and Antonio because Gabriel Jesus did not play, which meant that Ben White came in off the bench for zero points. Uh, kind of unfortunate that it was it was Cody I sold, not White. I might have had you know a few more points there if I'd. But this is kind of one of those real minor gripes in the overall scheme of things. I'm still one defender off where I probably need to be, and I'm just finding that the the calculated gamble that was Gabriel Jesus continues to not pay off. The calculated gamble that was Bakayo Saka continues to not pay off, and I'm still now, I think, even keener than ever to sell him, but I think he could have another stay of execution in my team just because, not that I have fires, but I just feel like I'm still trying to catch up to this template, right. which I abandoned and got punished by. But anyway, um, let's move on from me, Tom. We'll move on to you. So I ended up with a big 86 this week. Rubbish transfers, mind you. Uh, minus one net. So I sold Vardy, I sold Kai, and I sold Ben Rama. They all blanked. Huge relief on all counts, especially after that first game, the Leicester-Chelsea game. I was on the way into London to meet a few guys then. Um, but like I was nervously checking my phone every time, and I was just expecting the Vardy goal, expecting Kai to do something. But hey-ho. I brought in Kane, I brought in uh, Gundogan, and I brought in Gallagher. Um, Gallagher obviously got the assist, Kane blanked, and Gundogan, I kind of just last minute decided to bring him in, really. I considered Bernardo Silva, I considered the Corne, I considered Trossard, Jota, by I hate Jota, has been discussed at nauseam. He got very lucky with his goal, a massive Tavares assist. Um, but the reasoning was there with uh, Gundogan. He hit the bar with a looped header, had the ball in his hand, set penalty as well. Um, that was others overturned. 
sliding doors. Um, he's now the second highest XGI underperformer. Ouch. Anyway, in, in the actual team itself, a greater six saves. Mm, good. Uh, the Jack rumbles on James, Alexander Arnold, and Cancelo. Amazing stuff. 96 points over the last three weeks from the three of them. Midfield, pretty boring. Salah. Gundogan and Buemo hit the woodwork again. Amazing. And up front, Kane Antonio blanks, but I had a striker off the bench and that striker was Emmanuel Bloody Dennis. He was actually my second bench as well, um, just to rub in the jam even further. So um, obviously Rafinha didn't play and Christensen uh, didn't play, surprisingly. I was expecting him to play that game against Leicester, but Thiago Silva, uh, still life in those old legs yet. So Dennis came off uh, my bench, second bench for 14 points. Sheer dumb luck basically working my favour this week. Um, but either way, I've recovered from the Kai disaster now and back to where I was before all that happened. Up from the depths of 800k to 230k in four weeks. But yeah, obviously not great. I've had to go for a salvage up, but a couple of decent weeks have really helped me. So yeah, a decent momentum uh, going into game week 13. Very, very quickly, uh, if we can, Anthony. Did anything kind of impact your objectives this week? And we'll have to see if Andy's got any as well, actually. No, not so much. I, I got the timing right. I think that was the one thing that kind of I threatened to get wrong. I didn't make a late, late, late transfer and I didn't make on Friday night or early on Saturday morning, like right up onto the deadline. Aside from that, really, um, I didn't really have any elite players to transfer out except for uh, Salah himself. So that wasn't going to happen. Obviously, I captain Salah himself and just went with everyone else, really, which was pretty much what my objective was there. And I didn't take any hits. So I continued to navigate along. Fair play. Captaincy, obviously I did. I'm just going to follow that all this all year, I think. It's gotten too far now for me to break off from that. No 50-50 this week. I knew I was going to take. Um, it was a 50-50 between what player I was going to hit for. And obviously that kind of didn't go right. But, you know, as I said, sliding doors. Taking a chance on form. Well, all right. Maybe I could have, you know, said, right, I'd go with Corne and get yet another one shot one goal performance under my belt um but i went for kind of uh, you know the, the ultra differential sort of thing which we'll question on later on so maybe i should have thought about that a little, a little bit more um andy i mean obviously you've been playing for many years broadcast for many years i mean if you could kind of crystallize how you set up and how you think about things at the start of each season do you have any rules objectives that you hold on to I think cap like captaincy. Obviously, right now everyone's on Salah captain. Anyway, I'm I'm never that bothered about having to go against the grain with captaincy. Um, I think this week I, I might have to break an unofficial rule, which is potentially taking a hit for a defender because Reese James is just it's just doing my head in at the moment. Like just assists or goals coming from everywhere, uh, and then even if he doesn't get them, there's clean sheets are plenty for Chelsea as well. So. That's something I wouldn't... It's not like I have a rule that I can never do it, but it's not something I ever want to do. So I'd be interested to see what I decide by the end of the week. But yeah, I think just standard captaincy, you know, expected data I use a lot these days. Um, and fixtures are king, as always. Always. Perfect. It sounds like the way I've gone, actually. It's just all the expected data these days. I don't. I, I very, yeah, I I very rarely talk. Oh yeah, I very rarely talk about like shots on target and stuff like that. I call them the analog stats and leave it at that. But yeah, it's all about expected um, for me nowadays. I should find out in a little bit. All right. Um, min league update very very swiftly. Um, few movers and shakers this week. A new top man is Daniel Mind, steadfast FC. He's up from 16th into first. A big 97 pointer this week. Um, that pushes Graham Murray down from first to second a 73 this week not enough to see him hold on to top spot in third is Richard Carswell of 82 he stays where he was joint fourth Tom Glover and Robert Bob Robert Bob's been around for quite a while but both he and Tom go up from seventh and eighth respectively in joint sixth there's three people in joint sixth 
it's Christian Mitanovsky, Robert Paul, and Mohamed Arafa. Um, Christian comes up from 18th, and Robert Paul comes up from 26th with 80, mid 80 scores. Unfortunately, Mohamed, uh, he was second before. Now he's back to that kind of uh, sixth role, but still around the top 10. Fair play. In ninth, it's Dan Byron, 88 points this week, up from 29th. And in joint 10th, Sean McGarry, all the way up from 19th to 10th. Been in the top 10 a few times actually this season. I recognize the name. And Sean Donlop. Dunlop um, down from third to tenth, just seventy this week. Not enough to see him keep where he was, but yeah, really good performances there, especially that massive ninety-seven for Daniel to take him top of the mid league. Right, and the final bit of this little kind of catch-up section is the market forces. Uh, so last week, Anthony uh, Nick noted that Antonio was shockingly in the top five for transfers in. What's happening now? Funnily enough, Tom, you've uh, led that one in quite easily because, yeah, Antonio is actually the most sold player uh, in the game this week. I guess we'll move on to, we'll move for transfers in first of all, though, a bit more logical. So we'll start with this. Trent Alexander-Arnold is the most transferred in. So people who were a bit like me, who just needed to fix that big, huge hole in their side, um, have managed to get him in. So he's now 7.8 million, 232,000 transfers in or so. He's swiftly followed really by Reese James. So a lot of people like myself and Andy who still haven't managed to get him in yet are trying to get him into their sides. And uh, Conor Gallagher is the third most transferred in there um, this game week. Kind of after that, it's a very humdrum list of the likes of uh, Cancelo, who again, I guess, just another fullback getting in on this act, Smith Rowe and Raul Jimenez. As for transfers out, you're looking at the most transferred, as we said, being Mikel Antonio. He's followed by his teammate, Ben Rama. Cristiano Ronaldo is the third most transferred out player, followed by Man City's Diaz. And then after that, it is a real smattering of players. Uh, Jamie Vardy, kind of the most sold of the bunch. But what you're really seeing is just, you know, poor form starting to just be... Uh, rewarded with sales and that's especially I guess focused in those two West Ham players who were so highly owned earlier in the season and they continue to be highly sold at this moment Cool, nice and easy this week Alright, let's take a break there and move on to the key topic just after this Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and it's on to the main topic this week so there's been loads of questions in the community uh, all about one key topic the forwards for example fpl fairy steve just asked simply if we go four five one because strikers are so bad fpl snake so check yourself you know that these guys are asking about esoteric characters characters like benteke watkins and ings are coming into fpl managers minds and even the likes of fpl janino james carroll and james morrison they're asking about people like josh king emmanuel dennis like wow it's simply such a tough spot at the moment so Kind of our main question is simply, what's going on with the force? <laughs> Let's start with some analysis. Is it a FPL wasteland? So, so I did a bit of data work to find this out, basically looking to see if the forwards are, in fact, in a full-blown crisis. I initially looked at counting up the points for all positions and dividing them by the number of players to get a working average. The problem is there's far more defenders and midfielders than there are forwards. So it pushed up the number for forwards as an average as a data effect. So if anyone does that analysis and tells you forwards are doing okay, it's rubbish. Terms of handing their analysis bad straight away. Instead, what I did was I made a cutoff at the top 30, mainly informed by the fact that only 30 goalkeepers have scored more than zero points this season, and found this. So, in terms of ranking of points scored on average by a position, bottom to top, the top 30 goalkeepers have scored 859 points, meaning your average goalkeeper in the top 30 has scored 28.6 points thus far. 
Forwards are in third, 1,159 points scored by the top 30 forwards in total. Your average forward in that category has scored 39 points, 38.6. Your defenders are in second, 1,471 points uh, scored by the top 30. Your average top first defender has scored 49 points. And midfielders are top, so 1,589 points scored. Your average top 30 midfielder has scored 53 points. So your average top 30 midfielder is outscoring your average top 30 forward by 13 points and your defender is outscoring your uh, forward by 10 points. Maybe we'd expect that though. Mids and forwards, as we know, a better season and there are more routes to points. So what I did to add a little bit more colour here was to look further back in time as well, add some time frame over this, just to see kind of if the, the forwards actually have a lingering crisis. So I looked over the last four years for forwards, same methodology with the top 30 at the game week 12 interval. The outcome is pretty stark and it seems to suggest, yes, there's a huge crisis in the forwards. Uh, points scored by game week 12 have been in serious decline over the last four years in the forward position. This year, the top forwards have scored 147 fewer points at this point last season. At this time last year, for example, five players, Kane, Vardy, DCL, Bamford and Wilson, were above the points total for this year's highest scoring forward right now. Here's Antonio. Kane scored 107 points by this point. 2019-20, similar tale. The top 30 scored 83 more points than the year I just mentioned and a whopping 224 more points than this season. So a real, real come down. 2018-19, Obviously, I'll stretch back a bit far, but that was the last time we saw a year-on-year improvement. More points were actually scored in 2019-20 than 2018-19. Here's the thing, though. Even that year, the total was higher than the current season's, 111 points more, in fact. So basically, we've all fought it for a while, but it seems to me that the forward position, based on this data, is certainly in decline at this point in time and might well be described as being in a bit of a crisis, especially with the likes of Kane being like he is, as we'll discuss later, and the likes of DCL and Bamford being absent, which leave huge holes in the roster. Headline, uh, forwards are in crisis and the data supports that. What do you guys think about all that? Right now, forwards are just not looking great at all. I think, as cliche as it sounds, things do often change quite quickly in FPL, right? So it was only five weeks ago, no one was even really talking about Reese James. Five weeks later, he's like the most essential player in FPL. Three weeks into the season, I was figuring out how the hell to get Calvert-Lewin into my team. He's obviously not been an option. So I think I think the fact that we're missing players like Calvert-Lewin, Wilson's not been an option for a while, Banff has been injured for forever... Uh, that's obviously hurting the the position. Obviously, Tony was a lot of there was a lot of hype around him. He hasn't really delivered what a lot of people were expecting, myself included. And obviously, because it's been you know once Lukaku got injured, we all went to Kane and Vardy, and he's not been doing. They've not done anything either. So the forward right now, this is I'll be honest, the first time I think ever I've been playing FPL that I would genuinely go four five one. I've never ever gone anywhere near it before if i could get to it quickly right now i think i would i just think it's just the way it's like we said earlier on it's it's so difficult to look past those four defenders i don't even need to say who they are we all know who they are and then you've got the midfield spots as well four is just not looking good but it could change quickly i don't even think ronaldo in four weeks is a is going to be an option for me i i don't think i'm going to go there i just don't think there's any value there in a season where salah is just captain so i think forwards are as you show with the data, not looking great. And it's hard to it's hard to sit here and argue for it. It's hard to even play devil's advocate, if I'm completely honest. It just doesn't look good at all. 
you tried to play devil's advocate, I'd have been really raising my eyebrow. Definitely. It's it's really, the, the data Tom presents really does back up everything that we would have thought of to now. I do think though, Andy, you're so right to say that things could change quite quickly. Like I act, I think we could totally have a Michaels at the wheel moment with Ronaldo getting, you know, a brace and a hat trick type scenario. And then we just think, oh, he's essential, rip up your teams, you know, this sort of moment. Um, and then, you know, we just all looking at Cristiano. The same could happen, to be honest, with even Lukaku. If he just starts to find any semblance of form, we knew he was getting the chances, just wasn't necessarily putting the finishes with them. Um, that could see us change our mind. And I think ditto for Kane, who obviously has such a proven record um, in the league. I think, you know, picking out a few stats, like there's only one forward in the top 10 highest scorers in the last six game weeks, and that's Raul Jimenez. And like, I know I've picked a random number of weeks there just to give an indication, but you know, Jimenez is only in that really because his only double figure haul of the whole entire season is in that patchwork. And that's uh, the Newcastle game where he got two assists six weeks ago. In the last five weeks, no forward is in the top 10 scores. Same if you look at accepted points, for example, only Aubameyang actually is up there. Another model has King and Benteke sneaking into the top 10. But, you know, basically you're kind of talking about forwards being very much peripheral in those particular data points as well. And across the season, it's not much different. Just Tony and Antonio were up there. And uh, we know that Antonio, I guess, has statistically really uh, tailed off in the last five, six game weeks. Tony had a good early few game weeks to kind of up his expected points. But as we say, that he hasn't necessarily got the returns that we expected. And so what we have seen is a serious decrease in the number of shots in the box as well, for example, that forwards have taken. Like last, last season up to game week 12, 200, uh, this season up to two, to game week 12, forwards have had two, the top 10 forwards have had 227 shots in the box. Last season up to game week 12, the top 10 forwards had 265 shots in the box. So the 40-odd the, the difference there is really, really significant in terms of just the amount of goals you'd expect players to have scored, etc. And that kind of is just a, you know, a more specific stat that kind of gets at the points data that Tom was showing us. Yeah, I, I just, just quickly on the premiums in particular, I, I think the only thing that can save the premium forwards right now is the African Cup of Nations. I really do because <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I, I've even when Ronaldo's fixtures get good, right? We all know when it's coming. It's been talked about a lot. In game week fifteen, no one's going for him because everyone's gone. Uh, you know, obviously I use everyone, like not literally everyone, but a lot of people have gone for Spurs as kind of the interim player before they get Ronaldo. Right, a lot of people got Kane for that reason, but so no one's getting him in game week fifteen for Palace because Spurs have got Norwich. So it's game week sixteen, but in that week where he's got Norwich away, Salah's got Villa at home, so everyone's going to captain Salah anyway. In game week seventeen, Ronaldo's got Brentford away, Salah's got Newcastle at home. So the value for for Ronaldo to be twelve point four million to not really be the best captain option, possibly not having penalties either. It's just no value there. And I'm just not sure Michael Carrick is the man that's going to turn it around, even to be honest. Like he even came out in a press conference and said that he's got very similar beliefs to, to Solskjaer. I've got little confidence that much is going to change for me. And I'd, obviously we can see over the next few weeks to, to kind of see what happens before that fixture swing. Um, but I, I just don't see it. Like my, my plan with Kane right now is to downgrade him when the fixtures turn rather than um go to Ronaldo that, and again I, I obviously hold the right to change my mind but I just don't I just don't see any value in these people even Lukaku at 11.5 minutes he's not got penalties uh, and again probably not going to captain him so the the value you know when you get to that kind of price the value of those players is that you're going to captain them and until Salah leaves the country um I just don't really see that happening all that often to be honest um, so yeah, premiums are just, they've got something big is going to have to happen the next few weeks, I think, for people's minds to change on premiums. 
don't know what you think. Yeah, for for what it's worth, I, I totally agree with you on the Ronaldo thing. But it would it would take something really spectacular, and I guess that's why I kind of you know, say Michael at the wheel, Michael's at the wheel because it was that sort of spectacular uh, turnaround when Ole took over that you know might see uh, someone like Ronaldo come into vogue, but. As you say, that would take a very unexpected shift, given that it does seem like this is a real continuation of everything that we've heard was going wrong at Manchester United, just without the you know the same guy in the touchline. So, for example, you know all of his all his staff have been kept on basically. Yeah, They've just you know, me, yeah. everyone's just been promoted one tier effectively, <laughs> and it's just like hmm, congratulations, here's our new management team, and there's no real change. You know, there's yeah. the same people putting out the cones, yeah. it's the same people writing platitudes on the whiteboard that we've all been hearing about the last few days so it's 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 hard to expect a massive difference um it's it, they're not walking in and you know having all the ketchup taken away like things aren't changing um big time at Carrington in the next few weeks and I, I just kind of feel with that in mind as you say Andy it's hard to expect a big turnaround for United and I think we're kind of lucky actually that we have a little bit of a lead in to that good run of fixtures before we make yeah. any decisions but as you say yeah. I think Bruno could easily be the one that we look to um, if United did start to turn to form just because of positioning as much as anything. Yeah, I think uh, we've got questions on United in a bit, but I think yeah, sorry. Pretty, much, pretty much covered it anyway. But yeah, Bruno would probably be where I'd be going. I mean, in, in terms of the premium forwards in general, you're, you're right that, you know, it's probably a good idea to be downgrading and spreading that money elsewhere. But the only kind of rejoinder I've got is, well, where to? Because if we don't have a kind of a dual premium setup anymore, then you've got loads of money kind of sloshing around. It'll be a case of kind of why not um, with these sort of players, which is probably not a good reason to be endorsing a player if you're basically saying, why not? They're possibly a differential. Like Chelsea have got decent fixtures actually throughout the end of this calendar year too. They don't have a good FDR colour, um, but they are decent fixtures for a team like Chelsea. Um, and as you say, the Man United fixtures are great. But are we going to be re-seeing this happen? Are we going to see, for example, people be as happy to jump off Kane if Spurs do pretty well against Brentford and Norwich? Like As I said last week, I think that if Lukaku hadn't have gotten injured, this would not be as much of a thing because I can't see a world in which he, he wouldn't have reaped against that Norwich team, right? And yeah, absolutely. So we would, have, we would have kept him until probably this week and then we'd have sold him for Kane, I suspect, and all be kind of upset. But we'd still have that sort of duomium sort of thing. But I think him being sold, things all moving around meant that forwards became even more like a bit of a sore thumb in how we're thinking about things. Not particularly helped by a few of the misfiring sort of popular picks as well. So Vardy, Antonio and Tony, um, I could probably, you could probably have more, have occupied slots in our teams at various times with varying success. And it's been three weeks of that on the return for Vardy and Antonio. Tony was very, very lucky to score this week. It was a Darlow mishap completely. Last six game weeks, for example, Antonio's eighth for Ford XGI, Tony's 19th and Vardy's 21st pretty dire situation and I think it's probably worth just diverting very quickly onto questions uh, for example uh, from FPL fledgling on selling Antonio because I think a lot of people are kind of looking to to do so if you've held Vardy for example at this point I don't think you'd be doing that because Watford Southampton Aston Villa and Newcastle are the next four if you haven't been tempted by Spurs already a cane buy for example you probably aren't going there now but if you're looking at um you know, Antonio, or if you're looking at Tony and your team and thinking, oh, I could move them on, um, I've probably got some sympathy with you. I mean, Andy, what do you reckon uh, to, to that? I mean, I'm probably going to be keeping Antonio myself. Um, do you have it? I can't remember if you have him, actually. But, yeah, I've got uh, what, him, yeah. What, what are you going to do about him? Leave him there like me? Yeah, I, th I think a lot of what we're discussing now is like circumstantial. Like just really quickly again on the premiums, like it's all well and good for me to say spread the cash around. There's probably a lot of people that got on all the current template players right at the start that can afford to have them plus 
the premium. They might just keep that spot. And the same thing with Antonio. I think it's just circumstantial now or like situational that if you haven't sold him, I don't know if now is the right time to do it. Um, it feels like it is because obviously he's blanked so many times and, you know, the data is not great. But I guess part of that is due to the fixtures, which probably tells us maybe we should have sold him a bit earlier. And Man City away, Chelsea at home is, is horrible next three. Um, but if you've got a decent squad where you can bench him, I think it's possibly worth holding on. The only thing I would say is, I, I thought, and I thought this a while back, if you have sold him or you're thinking of selling him, I, I think game week 16 was always touted as the buyback time. But Burnley away, Arsenal away, I don't know if that's like essential to have him back. So if you do get rid of him, I think you could wait until game week 18. And then you're coming up to a busy Christmas period where is he is he going to play all those games? I mean, I know West Ham don't really have another option, um, but he has been managed a bit throughout Europe so far this season. So I don't, and I, and I know you can use that rotation thing for literally every player over Christmas, but I, I don't know. Antonio just seems like one of those that could, but then it is Norwich, Southampton, Watford, and Leeds, and four out of five fixtures. So you probably don't want to go without. Um, so I think it de- obviously depends on squad setup. I'm probably keeping him, and I'm probably going to have to play him for Man City and Chelsea, which I don't really like. There's just other stuff I want to do, and I don't know if getting rid of Antonio is the priority in my team. Um, so I'm probably keeping him, but yeah, I, I think I've said this for a few weeks now. If you don't sell him this week, I really think you've missed the boat. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because it's but it's it's Brighton, Chelsea, Burnley, Arsenal. It's not the worst set of fixtures for West Ham and Antonio, really. Uh, I think I think a few weeks ago was probably the time to sell him. Now is the last time. If you don't yeah. do it this week, you got to hold. I think. We used, we used to just call him the ex-goat, didn't we? And it's totally yeah. true. Like, all we would say was, if only he could stay fit. Like, last season, he was sit for XGI per 90 among strikers, pretty much level with the likes of Kane. At the moment, he is fit. I mean, 7.5 at the start of the season was great value. He's the biggest XGI underperformer amongst forwards. I can see the case to sell him, but I guess, you know, part of me would be thinking it's a transfer I'd kind of be wanting to make again. So I'm saving myself a transfer yeah. in December. I'm probably going to be playing him against Man City, probably going to be playing him against uh, Chelsea. Obviously, They've West Ham have been playing okay, the Wolves game notwithstanding. Um, he's just not been at the sharp end like we'd like him to be. But he's one of those players like perhaps Callum Wilson is, where you could look down the entire fixture list and not be surprised if you woke up tomorrow and all the games have been played that he'd have scored a goal in any of those sorts of games because he has those sort of numbers um, and that sort of play style. And West Ham are playing, still playing well. They've been checked a little bit in their momentum, but they're still good. Anthony, what do you reckon here? This is the thing with Antonio, like he has definitely dropped off in the last few weeks even though West Ham okay yeah with a bit of a, a mishap at the weekend but generally West Ham haven't really dropped off and even though the fixtures were tougher for them they still got in amongst the goals and things but Antonio only got one goal contribution for example in West Ham's last nine goals he's had two shots on target um, out of 13 uh, shots that he's had in the last six game weeks these are kind of you know fairly erratic numbers and whilst his chances created numbers remain quite good top for chance created in the fours but third in terms of xa in the last few weeks it's it, it there is starting to become a case for selling him for absolutely sure but the problem is to whom and this is something that we're going to get to of course and that's why we're going through this whole entire section but there is no clear alternative and so i think with that in mind a, there is that thing that you were saying, Tom, of just like, oh, well, you know, it's like you'd expect them to score against anyone and you wouldn't rule them out against anyone. And that's really a massive plus for any player in FPL, especially a forward in a season where forwards aren't doing particularly well. But then there is the team value aspect to this as well. Like an awful lot of people, I think, would have got him at the 7.5 or 7.6. So you've probably got about 0.3 to lose if um, if you do this sale. 
you're definitely probably going to get have to take a haircut even if you wait until the Norwich game to get him back in. It's going to cost you a little bit. Um, that's definitely something that needs to be kept in mind because I think even though we don't necessarily have as many premiums in our side, we're still spreading out the cash and people need the you know, 102, 103, 104 to fill out their teams um, at the moment. And so that's definitely a factor. And I think, though, the, the primary thing that makes me say don't sell Antonio is that, A, you probably have another four you want to sell, and B, who are you going to buy in for him anyway? At well, least he- he's the likely man. Okay, here's a sorry, just before we go on to the next thing, though, let's stick to Antonio because I'm sure some other people are thinking the same thing that I am this week. So you're right, there's not many other forwards I'd want to go to, but here's a couple of scenarios that I think I'm looking at that maybe others <laughs> are. So is Antonio down to Josh King to fund a move for Reese James, or Antonio down to a like a dead spot like Lucario or Davis from Villa and then getting Jotter in? So you're not you're not necessarily going to another forward, you're switching that money to a different position. Like and mm. I, I'm thinking about doing it for a hit. And even when I say that out loud, that just sounds crazy. <laughs> absolutely mm-hmm. crazy. But that's just the kind of situation I'm in right now where these players are just like Jota, I think if he's nailed, he's I know you don't like him, Tom, but he's just so good. And obviously Reese James is just killing me. Uh, and the fixtures aren't great for West Ham. And I think if, if we if we go down that route where we don't have Kane and maybe even Lukaku's like saves a million. Yeah, there is probably a way to get Antonio back. So I'm considering getting rid of it. I don't know if I will. Hmm. But what do you think of that? Josh King to fund the move. I'm basically oh, buying an enabler to buy Reese James. We, we may come on to Josh King very shortly. So yeah, let's, yeah. let's park that one for the moment. Um, I just think before we do come on to you know, potential solutions to our problems, uh, are there any other impacts we should discuss? I just wanted to put forward a couple of different things here. One is that um, there are a couple of players intruding on the forward spots, which we see every year, um, but this year Cornet and Trossard, for example, taking up a few kind of areas. Uh, Bamford and DCL, as we've noted earlier on, um, are huge absences in the mid-price. And did you know, for example, that DCL is still third for XGI over the last six matches played, but he hasn't played since game week three. Um, So of all fours, the, the last six matches they've all played, he's still third ridiculous and at the last four game weeks finally the top five forwards points wise are emmanuel dennis king with 25 jim nurse 24 pukie 21 and techers and armstrong equal 20 how did it come to this how did it come to this is is so so flipping bad and um I, i completely understand where you're coming from and what you're saying andy in terms of just saying you know what I'm going to sack the forwards off completely because for years we've been saying there's zero value in it. But this year, I think the chickens really are, or the, whatever the, the birds, whatever the flight, flying animals are, are coming home to roost, aren't they? But personally, I do think it's just very situational. There's just a lot of a lot of the key players, which we looked at at the start of the season, the Bamfords, the Cavaliers, they've just not been there. Um, and I just can't really put my finger on it other than that. It's just, I think the way the pricing is, obviously all those players like that did obviously did really well last year, they went up in price. So I, I think there is value in that mid-price forward spot. It's just not there right now. Like there can be value in Tony, Antonio, et cetera. It's just, it's just not there right this minute. And like I said, that can change, but it's, it's hard to, anyone that wants to bring in like Pookie or Josh King or anyone like that, who we're going to talk about in a set, I just, I don't really see a good reason to go against it. I, I just, I, mm. I can't. Yeah. I, I've thought about it a lot. These forwards, it's just not happening right now. And the defenders are just doing so well. They're just crazy good value. So why wouldn't you go there? You know? Yeah, no, absolutely. So who offers solutions? Is there a way that we can be saved from the forwards? Um, I've had a look at um, FB Ref uh, Stats Bomb uh, to look at the, the Premier League strikers this season. Um, the top two for XGI are, unsurprisingly, 
Antonio and Jamie Vardy. I was going to ask earlier on, who do you reckon is third, lads? And you, you both have given me stupid answers. And I've got, ha it's Josh King. Well, it's Josh King. Um, amazingly, yes. Josh King is third for expected goal involvement according to Stats Bomb for strikers this season, um, according to FB ref, uh, FPL-wise in terms of that, which is absolutely crazy. He's 0.1 XGI off Jamie Vardy. Um, uh, Hindi Monk is going to be loving it, isn't he? Um, and this also answers uh, James Morrison's question earlier. Um, but he did get moved to the wing uh, versus United with Dennis down the middle. A massive overperformance, by the way, by Dennis thus far. 4.52 more goals than he should have scored according to his XG. It's unbelievable. Only Salah's ahead of him. A couple of other people worth mentioning. Oh, in fact, the whole list is for those listening. Antonio's top, then Vardy, King, um, Antonio's top by quite a long way, I should mention. Uh, CR7 in fourth, Firmino um, in fifth, uh, Chris Wood uh, in sixth, Benteke in seventh, uh, Jesus in eighth, Watkins in ninth, and Lukaku still holding on, uh, ranking that by uh, non-pen XGI. So, I mean, yeah, Josh King dominating the XGI over the last six weeks against uh, among strikers. Benteke, it's enough to throw your hands in the air, isn't it? I mean, what do you guys see as a solution to the forward crisis? I mean, Andy, it sounds like you're just kind of thinking, you know what, I'm just going to leave it for the time being. Does this sway you, this kind of data here, to think about, you know what, Josh King um, could be the answer to my problems? Because it sounds to me like you want Rich James, doesn't it? Obviously, as always, you have to probably temper our expectations. I'm not sure Josh King can keep those numbers up, but Absolutely he's kind of, <laughs> obviously, but his his baseline numbers for, you know, when he was at Bournemouth and uh, obviously at Everton, although he didn't play a huge amount, they're not that bad for someone that's priced 5.6 million. And I think a lot of people are hoping, myself included, that SARS miss penalties means there's a penalty taker switch. And I know penalties have been down this year, but it could go to Josh King potentially. Uh, and also, he, he just has good fixtures over Christmas. So if there is going to be rotation, then he could possibly come in. I think from game week 16, his fixtures are quite good. The next three are, are pretty awful. But after that, it's quite good. I, I think a lot of the players on here, sometimes it's just, there's just a better player in a different position. Like Jesus, for example, if he played every week, be great. You've got Cancelo is probably a better option, maybe Foden as well. Watkins, I think, could be interesting over Christmas because Gerrard's obviously in there now. Let's see how they do over the next few. But I think, I think, I can't believe I think Josh King is going to be the solution for me um, eventually. Whether it's this week or not, I think he's going to come in. Like with Antonio, obviously, top of the list. I just, is Europe catching up with him a little bit? I don't know. Maybe that's just an, a Jamaica, a narrative. Jamaica as well. Yeah. Maybe I'm just building a narrative in my head, but he is playing more minutes this year, I assume, than he was last year. Obviously, he's been fit, which has been great. Like, he's not, I think the only game he missed was the one he got suspended for. Um, so that's great. And they have managed him a bit, but he has played extra games. Uh, I know FPL Irons was saying that he thought he looked leggy, but I also think he's one of those players that does look. It's a bit like Harry Kane. I think they always look a bit leggy, but then just not. So, yeah, I think I think on this list, like Josh King is 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 going to be the answer, uh, and Watkins possibly in a few weeks because mm. when, when Villa's fixtures get better, that's what I'm looking at. Oh, woodwork Watkins. I mean, uh, to be honest, if I didn't have Conor Gallagher, I'd really be looking at Benteke as well. Like he um, since last season has been on quite the growth curve, and I think that may have something to do with the fact that Edouard has signed a few Palace players. Say. 
that you know the new contracts when he was playing for that and now having his position slightly under threat it seems to have really kind of uh, seen Benteke step up a gear uh, looking at kind of Benteke when he was at Villa um, when he was actually most of our size I think at one yeah. point he was very very good for a little while wasn't he a proper talisman back then but I, I, I'm still getting over the fact that I've we've got a podcast here where we're all basically saying well oh Anthony's about to come in and steamroller us but you and I are both saying Josh King he looks good doesn't he well what's happened to us Anthony, talk some sense. No, I, I can't find any icy glass of water to throw on your faces for this one. It's it's really hard to build any sort of argument against you. Uh, the one thing with Benteke, I guess, and just to add to it, is that I think the the Villa project, or the Villa, the Palace project, is coming together more and more for Vieira week by week. It seems, and Benteke seems to be really growing into that and becoming a you know a more and more vital cog in that particular wheel and so whilst Conor Gallagher is doing well um, I wouldn't discount Benteke especially given the paucity or the lack of options in the forwards I wouldn't necessarily discount him just because you've got Conor Gallagher in your side um, but y- yeah it's it's very tough looking at the forwards to um, newly use a nickism it, it's really hard to pick any of them out I do think that Gabriel Jesus has been extraordinarily unlucky not to do better than he has. Um, he's, you know, pretty consistently playing. So I don't think minutes are as big of a problem with him as they may be for pretty much every other city um, midfielder or forward that you might be able to pick from. Um, but he's not a solution to the problem because he's more expensive. And so with that in mind, I think, Andy, I'd be very tempted to do the same thing as you and look to King and to move money into defence. I'm just not sure if I want to commit to going into that structure because I guess a lesson that we've learned in previous seasons is that it's just not a winning structure over the long term and I know that fullbacks are doing better en masse than we've ever seen them do before the only thing I can think of and again is is it just trying an excuse not to do it is again we are coming to Christmas surely Aspilicueta is not going to keep missing games and at some point he could play win back I've got Chilwell surely Alonso is going to get some games soon um, so that's the only thing I can think of. But again, every player is susceptible to rotation over Christmas. So I don't know if that is a good excuse not to do it. But you're right. Once you go into that structure, then obviously you've got to use the same amount of transfers to kind of get back out of it, I suppose, is the only issue. Um, yeah, and, and especially when you've got Tuchel there at Chelsea, who really isn't afraid to rotate. And I think we've kind of, I think we, I can say everyone's been surprised by how consistently the likes of Reese James have been, and Chilwell have been playing in recent weeks. I don't think when they got into the team originally, they weren't kind of heralded as nailed picks, and there was good, they were good punts that have just worked out and worked out and worked out for managers who were in on them super duper early. Um, but at this point now, I think we kind of just have to ignore the the minutes question and get in on them if you're like you and me, Andy, who are just like suffering and suffering without them. Uh, so, yeah, it does prove a tough question. I think Rudiger plus one is the way to go personally. I'm, I don't really like the the James plus Chilwell approach. I feel like that's a little bit too much risk. I like the expected, you know, the expected minutes of Rudiger because quite frankly, I don't want to end up with 10 men because I just didn't have enough defenders playing uh, in a given week. And that's just kind of becomes a risk because as you say, quite a lot of them are prone to rotation in some way, shape or form. I guess to put it back to the forwards, it kind of feels like the forwards are now basically a piggy bank for <laughs> financing moves into other positions. I mean, just to kind of summarise what's going on with the forwards, it sounds like, well, the data kind of shows they are in crisis at the moment and we're following our nose on the value. Um, so you know, notionally a 4 4 seems to be the way the current state of affairs is. Um, 
Um, I had absolutely no notion at the start of this season I'd be recording a podcast, as I said earlier, where Josh King would emerge as a bit of a hero. Um, but I think, as Andy said at the start as well, things do change very quickly in FPL. We're not going to you know, declare the four dead straight away, um, even though there are kind of bugger all options at the moment. All it would take would be a Wilson, a couple of goals, you know, the likes of Danny Ings, the likes of Bamford, as we mentioned earlier, Watkins, um, starting to take off. Um, and they're at such a nice price. As a lot of the mid-price mids have been that it's not that difficult to shift from kind of a midfielder to a second forward or something like that. Um, we are, we do all need to have one forward. I don't know what forward it would be at the moment. That That's how dire the situation has become. Like, you know, would you just have Antonio would you have Kane? I mean, I've got both of those two, and like, you know, obviously I'm not happy with either of them, but I've just got other things to do along the same lines as these guys. Um, I'm also going to be stuck with a premium forward for a, well, for the next three in Kane, so the door is open for me uh, to potentially look at Lukaku or potentially look at Ronaldo, because um, so I do think there will be a lot of kind of FOMO generated, and as you said, things will change so quickly, and you know, a couple of good results for United, and suddenly we're all kind of on the wrong train all over again. I think that they are in crisis. Um, it's a very dire situation at the moment, but we have to be aware that things will change. It's just the data is not very nice reading if you are a striker fan. What would you guys summarize uh, the situation as? What is a striker fan? <laughs> That's my favorite one. <laughs> if you're a striker fan, like if you've gone into the niche of FPL beyond the niche, you, you know how people how people always savagely play three four three. Like you know, yes, it's, yes. It's, every, it's everywhere, isn't it? Like it's the most play formation out there. Like people, like, I need to have three strikers, no matter what. Like you know, for years people didn't look at having two strikers and bumping a three five two or a four four two. Like I think every season the guy, the person who has won, who has who, mm-hmm. I, think, I think has been a guy, I, has played yeah, absolutely three every year. Like that's just the reality. Um, but coming out of that mindset as we've been trying to talk about for the last few years in terms of big at the back is probably something that we are going to see more and more if things continue along this path but this is it like as we, we've talked about in previous years big at the back and then we've laughed six eight weeks later at that and it's just like is this finally the year that it really really sticks i think that's kind of the question that i ask myself as um i like andy you know ponder a, a switch in formation away from what has been accidentally a slavish devotion to 3-4-3 or 3-5-2 up to now. Uh, even though I be I have in the past played some sort of Christmas tree formation with five at the back and just not had it work out. Um, what's going on with the forwards? I feel like it will turn around when we start to see some of the players that we've talked about who've been absent getting back into things. And at the end of the day, some of the big names who haven't been firing thus far, I think will start to fire again because not just because they always have, but because they do have the raw ability and they will just start to even just get penalties and stuff to supplement them along and things will turn um, for them. But for now, I feel like we've kind of just got to make hay while the sun shines and probably move away from the forwards um, in some way, um, certainly. Yeah, I don't really have too much. I think um, I would like to give a shout out to Raul Jimenez, who I bought in for Southampton. And since then, he's gone massively under the radar. He's had six returns and six, I think seven starts, actually, something like that. Obviously, he missed, uh, missed the Villa game. So he's done well. He's got two good fixtures coming up. He could be a swap for some people for Antonio. All it would have taken was for Kane to score one goal and get a few bonus points uh, yesterday. And maybe the conversation would be a little bit different around the premium spot. But I think I think it doesn't take too much to change people's opinions. A few good, a few goals over the hard fixtures for Antonio. Suddenly we see a good fixture run. He's got to come back. Tony gets a goal next week. Well, he's got Leeds and Watford soon. The, the narrative kind of changes quickly. So, yeah, it's hard to argue against going cheap right now. 
but I suspect it won't be too long until we go back again. Harry Kane, XG of 0.54. Actually did a shot on target. Yeah, amazing. I know. Progress. Yeah. You don't get any points for those, though, sadly. Um, but yeah, hey, that's good points. Basically, the forwards are dead for now, but you could probably see a forward hand coming through the earth. Uh, a zombie reanimates itself and become of interest again. No shot on him in as well. Right, let's take a break there, move on to the correspondence and questions just after this. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so we're back. We're on to the correspondence and listeners' questions. So last week I got a few complaints that I sounded a bit droll uh, during the correspondence. I didn't bring that sort of bouncing sort of sense of effervescence that Anthony does when introducing his very favourite section. So I'm going to get out of the way and uh, let Anthony do his thing here. Over to you. I'll uh, present it like you, Tom. No, no, the correspondence section. Yes, this is what this is now. The chance for you to get your long-form thoughts, questions, addendums to previous pods, poetry, whatever it may be, into us, usually to who got the assist at gmail.com, or you can try to get a DM through to Tom, or even me if I check it occasionally, and uh, via WhatsApp and Slack and whatever else you can find us there if you have us on those. With Tom Campbell, who emailed in this time to who got the assist at gmail.com, though, and he said this. Hi, both. I have a topic I'd love to get your views on. It's fairly overarching and broad and is essentially how much onus do you each personally attach to a team's collective defensive resoluteness when picking your defenders in FPL? Not to answer my own question, but I've always weighted this strongly based on me viewing clean sheets as a team metric, but I wonder what others' thoughts are. Is it a majority of your thinking versus the perceived individual likelihood of attacking returns? Or does that side of the argument win? And if so, why? Cheers, y'all. Come on, you gunners in green. So what Tom basically is asking us is when we're looking at defenders, are we looking at the the team underlying stats there for, I guess, clean sheet points, or are we looking to the individual themselves? And I'd be very interested to hear your thoughts on that, Andy. Yeah, I think the answer is both. I think you go, you, you, you look for the defense first, and then you pick your defender from that defense, mostly anyway. Like, And I think then you decide whether it's worth paying the premium. So you go to Liverpool you know, you know, they're all obviously everyone's going to get the same amount of clean sheet points, right? We all know that. Is it worth paying like the million extra? It's more now, but at the start of the season, like a million extra for Trent versus Van Dyke? Yes, absolutely it is. But sometimes, like if you just want to get a cheap defender on the bench, then you, you'll often just pay for the cheapest one to get the clean sheet points. It all depends on the team, really. Uh, obviously, for Chelsea, right? Like again, like just to, the, the four defenders, right? You're paying because they play for the top three defenses in the league. And they're also the most attacking players from those teams. And it's worth spending that extra. Um, I'm trying to think of an example. Okay, so Brighton, for example, right now, Lamptey would be the go-to, I think, because he's he's the cheapest entry point and he's the most attacking as well. Uh, then you'd have to just weigh up whether or not you want to take that risk of his hamstrings, right? We're coming up to, again, a busy period. He's been out for a long time. He's only just back up to scratch. Is he going to play? In that case, you might spend a bit more for nailed on this. Um, but yeah, ultimately, I think both. I think team stats obviously definitely matter, but then you have to decide who's the best from there. Usually the attacking one. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think you have to categorize players by kind of playability on your FPL team. I Obviously, wing-back supremacy, every player that you mentioned as being exciting is always, always, always going to be a wing-back. You, you don't really get too many attacking centre-backs, apart from Rudiger. If you look at that guy's heat map, yeah. go, and have, go and have a look. It's mm-hmm. absolutely it's, it's something else, something mm-hmm. else. But for, for me, echoing what Andy said about kind of the wing-backs, um, a 4.5 million centre-back is always the perfect bench fodder as far as I'm concerned. You know, Barring a Livermento, Lundstram or AWB being around, um, someone who will play 38 times 90 in that congested period, he's there for you. For me, that's Connor. 
of Cody. <laughs> but on the pitch, you know, I tend to focus on the wingies as per the bigger back strategy. And those wingies tend to be sat at the big clubs anyway. Um, so, you know, you get your clean sheets and it's kind of, they're kind of a byproducts of the upside that you expect to see. So it's all about categorization for me. I guess I see non-attacking defenders like goalkeepers, which is why I didn't pay the premium for Rudiger in the first place. I went, went for Christensen all those weeks ago. Um, if I'm investing in defenders, I guess I want that upside. Uh, errantly or not so I always look at the per, I think I kind of sway more towards the individual stats of the player rather than the team stats of the team for the majority of the time that's for sure Anthony anything to add there? Not, not hugely I think maybe something that maybe is implicit in what we've been saying but isn't something that any of us have actually explicitly stated is that there has been a shift towards wingbacks in general in football in recent years which means that you know there are more and more options coming available who really push on in terms of FPL points so like gone are the days where really you kind of had you know Baines, Coleman, Ivanovic or whoever as your few options now there is kind of you've got your two wing backs at Liverpool you've got your two wing backs at Chelsea if not four and you've got you know one two three wing backs at City who could be pushing on depending and so you've kind of got this plethora of options because that is just the 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 tactical approach that's in vogue right now which means that because these full boss are getting so far forward they're as creative they're so important in the team because of the space they can get in the sides they are now individually generating so so much better stats that it's almost impossible to ignore them and that's where we've finally come to this position where it seems like big at the back is crystallizing as the fpl tactic du jour in a way that it has been threatening to do so for quite a few years now and so i think that's why we have started to move away from the kind of beautifully economical idea of your 4.5 who gets you know 12, 13 clean sheets a season, the Connor Cody pick. I think that's why we've started to you know, move away from that bit by bit more than ever. Uh, part of this too, though, is that just like you, you tend to have a cheap entry route into some of the top defenses every single year. And uh, this means that, again, you just have, you know, the, the top defenses tend to be the ones where those players with the amazing individual stats come from, but they're also the ones that have the good team stats. And so, you know, last year it was Rudiger, for example, in the Chelsea defence. There was um, there was a che- there have been cheap entries into the United defence in the past. There will be potentially a cheap entry into that Chelsea defence with Chalaba at some point as well this season. And so... It just means that more and more you can just start to look to the individual details. So I think we have seen that shift overall. Naturally, the answer is to answer Tom's question, both. But I think we have started to favour the individual more so than ever um, this year. And I suspect that will continue to be the case this season. Although, you know, what we've been saying about big in the back, big at the back being what seemed like the tactic that was going to stay has fallen apart before. It could happen again. It but it be. just feels less and less likely with the way tactical tactics are developing in football i'll tell you something that's helped me kind of really conceptualize in the first place to get over my fear of having loads of loads of defenders it was i changed i kind of just thought you know what i'm not pay, playing you know four four two or four five one i'm effectively playing zero eight two here yeah. because all of my defenders are actually midfielders like and they get more points for it so don't, don't think about defenders as being a negative thing they're a positive thing um and that sort of just a little tweak in my mentality when i was thinking about defenders and buying them in like you said earlier on Andy I wouldn't buy a defender for a hit in the case of someone like Reese James you're not buying a defender you know you know yeah. that even though the characterization is of that you, you the player himself isn't isn't a defender it's only defender and a defender in name only a Dino 
There is, there is kind of something that maybe this gets us way further into the weeds and away from Tom's question, but I think this is something that is becoming maybe a bit of a kind of a farcical issue in FPL. So when you look at your team sheet as it's laid out on Sky or BBC or wherever, you're starting to see the wingbacks be laid out as midfielders. And I guess that's the, the trick that you're playing on yourself, Tom, is something that we already see being played to us in how team sheets are portrayed before almost every single game. So in FPL now, what we're effectively doing is we're, we're thinking of the defenders as midfielders, but in truth, the good midfielders are actually in truth forwards. And so we're kind of just, everything is kind of being pushed forwards. And so I think there is kind of a rationalization that needs to occur with the positions in FPL, because at this point, it's just becoming a little bit silly um, how, you know, the good defenders are basically out of position defenders playing as midfielders and the good midfielders are basically out of position midfielders who are playing as forwards. Um, so <laughs> this needs this needs to be sorted because what we're basically seeing is the Connor Cody's and the Real Jimenez's of this world are tending to get squeezed. And this isn't really a good thing for like the greater structure of FPL. And this is why we have such a template this season. And if that continues to play out, then it's going to be a bit of a problem. But anyway, we'll wrap up this correspondence section. Tom, who emailed in, Tom Campbell, he emailed who got the assist at gmail.com. You too could have a question, poem, addendum, uh, disagreement with everything I've just said. Uh, if featured on this podcast, if you too email in to who got the assist at gmail.com, it would be very welcome. Thank you very much. Bouncily uh, presents those ever, Anthony. Bouncily. Let's move on to the questions this week. Um, and the first kind of questions are about the short term focus, all the congestion around this time of the year. Andy's favorite questions. He loves answering these. Uh, so we'll, we'll come to him in just a second. Uh, first question this week is from a sideways at FPOL if you're watching the YouTube. Um, just because I, I couldn't fit him in, basically, if I put him up to front and get you can, yeah, get, get a speech bubble into the mouth. It's very difficult to do. Um, he says, the next three game weeks cover just 10 days. Is this the time to change up our team management process in order to not get left behind with the games coming thick and fast, or should it not make any difference? And FPL Banger, who uh, stitches Andy up a little bit, takes a screenshot of one of his videos. Um, he says, with the Christmas congestion, what is the consensus on strong benches? Or do we just put money into the 11? As Andy said, rotation is never ever, 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 as bad as we think, right? Never. Um, a very, very kind of regular question we get every single year. Uh, Andy, what's the kind of stock response that comes out of your mouth whenever you ask this? Wow, exactly what's on screen. I, I feel like usually it's an overplayed thing at Christmas. There is some rotation. It's very rare that seven or eight of your players miss out at once. Um, sometimes it's often quite hard to call as well because the games really are like two or three days after the last one. And it's another two or three days to the next one. So it is pretty difficult to call. Um, I, I don't think you, you need... I mean, you could change the strategy a bit because of all the money floating around this year for some people. But I mean, I think people overplay how much money needs to be on the bench. Most people don't have three non-playing players anyway. So if you've got like a Liveramento, a Brownhill, and then maybe one other defender or a Josh King or whoever... That seems like enough to me. I, I don't know why we need to go and spend too much more money. I mean, it is worth noting that a bench isn't just about getting your players on when they miss out. It is also about having a bit of flexibility. So if a player misses a game through injury, like even a minor injury over Christmas, that could be two or three games and your bench could cover if you've got someone a bit more decent. But I don't, for me, it's not something I'm really planning for. I'm just doing my transfers as normal. I've got Livermore, I've got Brownhill. It's not ideal. Would I like to have five or six or seven million pounds on the bench? Yes, but it's not usually possible. So yeah, I don't. I don't think it's anything we need to worry too much. I don't think this Christmas period is any worse than any other one. 
Yeah. I, in fact, probably better uh, because, uh, well, I don't know. I, let's see what, what the COVID numbers are like to save a C word. Um, Good point. But, but um, hopefully better than last year where you had players dropping out all the time. But yeah, I completely agree with you. I think Twitter loves a scaremonger. Social media loves a scaremonger. You know, visions of a horror scenario where you end up with kind of, you know, that, that, se- that, you know, that season where only Man City had a game and we were captain to Carlos Tevez. Yeah, he scored um, as well, didn't he? He did. I think he scored a brace, actually. Um, but um, there are obviously, to take it down to real basics, a few obvious examples where rotation could be seen. A few categories. Age, Ronaldo, Vardy, will they play 90 times free? Probably not. Um, so one to bear in mind. Injury risk rise. So um, uh, Andy mentioned Lamptey. The likes of Antonio and Wilson perhaps will worry me with those uh, hamstrings. And general susceptibility to rotation. Do you have Man City midfielder? You know what you've gotten into when it comes to this time of year. You knew the risks. Anthony, um, anything perhaps about moving towards strengthening your bench? Like when would you make that transfer if you were, say, in a situation where you've got you know, one decent bench player and perhaps a couple of duds? Like, At what point would you be thinking, right, okay, I'm going to start to make a transfer to strengthen my bench up a bit? I think for me, most of us at this point are probably trying to hold squads that have at least two substitutes available and there's no excuse for not having Alan as your third sub. So I, I think with that in mind, like you, you should be kind of safe enough, I think, as Andy says, to withstand the rotation and you'd be very, very unfortunate to be down to 10 men. And I think you might as well just plow on with that particular thought. I think maybe if you're in a position where you haven't gone heavily in on the fullbacks who I think are quite likely to get rotated maybe there's an argument in your head that you could try and just continue to abstain from the wingback mania but I think you'll just suffer more doing so and so I think that's a difficult thing to um, try to build an argument for we're just too far away from Christmas and the other thing that I would say um, when it comes to just considerations and thing that we didn't mention is AFCON and when players are going away in international duty, you may need to start managing your team and planning ahead just because you're going to start running out of players when AFCON starts. I think an awful lot of people would have, um, you know, a few players at least who were going away potentially to that. And so it's just a matter of planning. And of course, there is the the very big name, Salah, going away to that, that um, we would especially um, need to be kind of keeping in mind. <laughs> I'd say that really. I think maybe just the Elf's question, which was more focusing on management. I think just try and actually keep managing. It just turns into a really, really busy time where it's really hard to just keep on top of you know the individual details of particular game weeks. You spend a lot of time with family. You don't get to watch as many games. There's so many games on, and there's so many games one after the next that it can be hard to uh, stay on top of things. And so you may have to adapt your management style to just um, maybe just. Um, work off less data than you usually do if you just don't have time to crunch through it but this this isn't a specific change it's more just a necessity based on time and i think everyone can get through that cool so don't worry about it you'll be fine everyone everyone's got money at the moment yeah. everybody yeah, has exactly. probably two players on their bench trying to and get and, and get alan that's yeah. the well, forget about billy gilmore he's new Reach. Doesn't, doesn't matter well, that's a, that's certainly a point of view, Anthony, um, but probably not not one I'd endorse. Right. Um, unfortunately, uh, well, fortunately, actually, we've we've actually picked up uh, the Benny Blanco question this week, which was kind of um, well to some extent. He says he's thinking of ditching Diaz to to Chilwell. Um, 
he and FPL Nordic asked about buying in Chelsea defenders. We've spoken about kind of that in inverted commas back four. And um, I think the, the answer would probably be that to those questions, yeah, we'd probably be kind of saying, you know what, if you can do it fairly easily, do it. And he's considering a minus four uh, to get James in. So that answers Nordic's question. Um, Reguillon, um, John O'Forward mentioned him. Um, I Just to keep this brief, uh, it was his first ever goal for Spurs. Um, it's very early days um, Pontrific 5.1 you could probably do worse for the price tag you've got a chance versus Everton as well um, but nothing to really kind of make me think he's worth a transfer right now interesting one with you guys on and we kind of did start to go down this rabbit hole earlier on is the next question on United's uh, takes and kind of perhaps uh, relatedly a link um, to the new manager bounce so FPL Claret asks what our opinion on United is now and which assets we're tracking ahead of their fixture shift. And we've already kind of spoken about our cynicism about that. Um, but relatedly too, um, we may see, if we do see this kind of bounce um, and reflecting the bounce we kind of were speaking about last week, I said bounce too many times. I even described you as bouncy earlier on without even thinking about it, Anthony. Um, but Adam Pritchard asked if anything new manager bouncy made us reevaluate options over the weekend. That's a record amount of times I've said bounce in the space of about two minutes. Boing. Right. Um, I think we've, we've already expressed our cynicism on United to, to some extent. Um, should we maybe pivot more towards the new manager bounce that we saw uh, this uh, this weekend um, with decent results for Villa, Norwich, a draw, obviously, uh, for Newcastle, a high-scoring draw as well, actually, and um, obviously the, the, the Spurs uh, two on Victoire. Um, what, did we see anything in these sort of teams that gave us cause for um, cause for positivity? Um, any players you've got our eyes on? Anything else that we'd note about these? Uh, Andy, what do you reckon? Yeah, I think I can cover this pretty quick from my own point. I think, I think Norwich, look, I think Pookie may be an option, but I, I just... I think Alex McCarthy really helped them to get that win at the weekend. Like, he was poor for both goals. He probably should have saved both of them from Norwich. And I just don't... I think Dean... Like obviously, a lot of Villa fans were sad to see Dean Smith go. But I think he's got a lot to do for that Nor Norwich side. So I don't think they're suddenly going to become options. Uh, I think Newcastle just... I think Callum Wilson is just always going to be a pretty good option because he's nailed on penalties. I don't think Eddie Howe is necessarily going to change my thoughts too much, especially from the defensive side. I think the most interesting one for me is Gerard at Villa um, because I think Villa defence has actually been pretty poor apart from Martinez's heroics. Um, so maybe looking at their defenders, possibly Watkins, let's see how he gets them playing. There was an interesting tweet from um, the Tactical Times on Twitter said they were, that Villa were the fifth least active pressers in the Premier League before Gerard came in uh, and Brighton are the fifth most active uh, and Villa outpressed Brighton in that first game. Now that's just one game whether or not they can keep that up, who knows? Maybe it's just new manager bounce. They want to impress Gerald. I don't know. But there's a new way of playing, and that might help their defence. So possibly oh, okay. the Villa defence. But again, when we've just done a whole podcast talking about all those wingbacks that we all want to buy, I just I can't see a route right now where maybe we'd want to buy a Villa defender. But it's worth keeping an eye on. And I think Watkins, again, could be a player that um, comes into that forward bracket at some point soon. Because Villa's fixtures do get pretty good soon. Uh, I think for the next few, they're they're pretty awful. Palace, Man City, Leicester, Liverpool. But from game week 17 onwards, they got Norwich, then they got Burnley, Leeds and Brentford in the space of five game weeks. So they are the team that I'm most interested in, I think, from a new manager perspective. The rest, I, I think we kind of know what we're going to get from Newcastle and Norwich mm. anyway. Maybe okay. I'm being a bit harsh on Eddie Howe, but 
Yeah, I don't think player options are going to change too much. Three goals conceded. Interesting point about the pressing. Uh, Gerald will probably be urging them not to let that record slip. Um, I mean, there's not there's not too much there, is there? As you said, Wilson, six shots, two on target, one big chance missed. Unlucky, basically. Uh, St. Maxman was a bit of a live wire. I mean, Gilmore, um, probably a new Alan, 4.4, perfect enabler. I think it was three chances created and he got an assist, admittedly, from a corner. Um, and uh, Villa, as you say, I mean, Matthias Kowalski, always known as uh, Matt Cash, could come into play at some point um, if he does kind of be, do that kind of rampaging wing back sort of role. It uh, sounds like he's uh, looking at uh, Barnab Barisic, I think it was, who was the uh, left back at Rangers to come in um, and replace Matty Target eventually. Uh, as you said, it, they've got fixtures that kind of lend themselves to watch and wait. They've got City and Liverpool lying in wait over the next four. Hashtag narrative, Gerard going back to Liverpool. Um, but it all kind of lends itself to a bit of a wait and see. Um, I guess Spurs is probably the other one that's worth mentioning, just because they are, it's, it's a newish bounce. And maybe you could even throw Watford in here and say, oh, that's a new, that's kind of a newish bounce. Um, and the jury's still out on them too. I'm concerned a little bit about Son, actually. I didn't sign him. I, went, I did go for Kane. But I felt like just watching the game, that he was a bit lost in the system yesterday. I think there was a couple of surging runs where it didn't really go anywhere. And I genuinely, apart from those moments, can't tell you very much about his performance just from my memory. In terms of the data, it wasn't particularly good either. Um, so those would be my only observations. I think it is kind of a, a watch and wait really there. And obviously listen to our friends Planet FPL for the in-depth look at Son, who is going to, he's probably going to destroy me, isn't he? Um, but Anthony, what about you? What did you think about these guys? I think uh, Andy has probably highlighted the right team of the kind of immediate uh, teams that have just had new managers, um, that being Villa. Number one, they obviously had a decent defensive record last season and you know their just regular defenders were options last season as well as Emi Martinez. And with someone like Martinez in their team, um, you can kind of hope that those defenders might start to prove value. You kind of, you can get cheap enough access into that defense so it's worth watching but as you say it's it's real you know wait and see it's in the midfielders and the forwards and especially i guess the forwards given the lack of options that we've discussed like both watkins and ings have been near enough um essential in fpl at various times in the last two seasons and it's just not impossible to see that coming around again so i'd be i'd be watching both of them with interest to see how things develop for them and then have you know a very kind of casual lazy eye on the likes of McGinn, Buendia, even Ramsey as an enabler, or Leon Bailey if he just obviously came off the bench at the weekend. But it would be yeah. kind of interesting to see him play more. Sure, yeah. But this is kind of but this is like one of these like we've not really seen him do a huge amount. He's obviously had a few like decent um, short performances, um, but we just don't know where that's going to go. So it's with Villa is just wait and see. Spurs, um, personally, I wouldn't have much of an interest in their defense as it stands from what I've seen really. Um, but what I would say is that I would just be hopeful for Son. Um, not for any good reason, really, other than he seems to have been able to defy statistics and in the past. And he was even, in terms of just point scoring this season, he had done quite well um, up until the point that they moved on, uh, their manager. And so I'd be just hopeful that uh, if you were Conte, you'd be trying to figure out a way to accommodate him and to get him scoring, especially if Kane looks as leggy and lost and everything else that you could say. Um, at the moment and so um, with that in mind now that he's in my side I'm happy to construct a narrative to keep him in there 
But at the same time, I can totally see how someone who doesn't own him wouldn't be thinking he's a priority buy. Yeah. I think you've probably got things that you'd want to do more. Um, you mentioned Norwich there. So, Tom, I'll just toss them in and just say it does seem like there's forward options there given the lack of forward options. So you might as well just consider them. There's been so many new managers. I completely forgot that Watford and Spurs have only just changed their manager because yeah. it was it was like two weeks ago. So there's been like five different managers since then. The only thing I would say, like kind of just observational really, is at the end of the game when Spurs won, the way Conte went round that team, like just like, I'm tr- I don't know how he didn't injure some of the players, the way he was kind yeah, of uh, yeah. like shaking their hands. But like for anyone that thought that Kane was down in tools and just wasn't injured, he had this big smile on his face when Conte came over to him. Like, I think Spurs will be fine, but I do, I think, like, I'm on Kane as well, so I'm hoping he comes good. But I think the style is so different. It's a lot to learn, like, straight away. And I think in the first half, I think Conte came out of an interview saying it was him that kind of gave up possession to to Leeds. I think he said that's what they wanted to do in the first half. But they were poor. And then the second half, they kind of turned it around. So there is a lot to learn in how he wants to play. So I don't know how quickly they're going to, like, nail it, how good they're going to become options quickly. Like, Regulon is someone that interests me, but I'm not going to probably rush out to buy him. But um, I think Spurs probably are the most interested. I just forgot that they just, yeah, just no, changed no, their boss. Fair play. Fair play. I mean, it's six, six already this season. There were only four last year for context. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Final question of this game week. It takes us nicely into uh, transfers and captains, of course. A differential discussion. So a good friend of mine, FPL Jack, was out drinking with him uh, on Saturday. <laughs> Asks, is there too much focus with going too differential too early in general? How can focus managers make up ground quickly? Or is it or is a patient slash slow and steady approach often better? No wonder what rank you are after game week 12. Um quite an interesting question actually because obviously there are a lot of kind of uh, ultra differentials being thrown around as well as little ones um i guess in the context of the salad eo vacuum uh, your team matters more than ever in terms of how you generate gains um don't think there's much harm in seeking out these ultra differentials personally if you've got the bases covered so this week i bought last week sorry i bought Connor gallagher and i thought i could balance that out well you know with an uber differential and gundawan uh those things if players, if you have players of lower ownership, those do ultimately get you higher quicker, provided they outscore the alternatives you had considered. It didn't happen for me this week, but you know, if I'd bought Bernardo or if I'd bought Corday, I'd be speaking a very different tale right now. If I bought Jota, I'd be speaking a very different tale though too. Um, yeah, I, 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 it can often be kind of overrect, can't it? There always a differential is probably you shouldn't overlook like a really obvious choice for a differential. Um, but sometimes, especially in this particular context, I think it does become slightly more urgent just because the captain. Normally, the way in which you can differentiate from people is completely knocked out as an option here. So getting players in low ownership who you do think are about to go on a run or can kind of support you over a two or three week period, I don't think there's much wrong with that. What do you guys reckon? Yeah, so for for me, uh, in some ways, I think because of Salah captain being so heavily captain every year, I feel like there's less reason to go differential because you're going to get points from every other player for once. Like it feels like we never, especially early on, you know, when Antonio's being captain and Salah and Ronaldo and Lukaku, you you have players in your team you didn't want points from, and it's a little yeah. bit different now. So actually, in some ways, I kind of I quite like it. 
Um, although it is nice getting a bit of a differential captain every now and again. Uh, I, I think this is one of the, the biggest myths in FPL that you need differentials. I, I think I think Seb um, Vassell posted about it on Twitter recently. He did. Um, <clears throat> you, usually, if you've got, like Reese James, for example, I don't care what his ownership is, I want him. Diogo Jota, I don't care what his ownership is. He could be 80% owned. I would still want him because I think he's such good value. Uh, as an option I think your reason to buy a player should ne- never say never because I think there are circumstances when you can look at it but it should never be their percentage ownership like to give an example of when I, ha- I would look at it last day of the season last year um, I didn't go through with it because it's kind of boring manager I am but I had Salah and I knew that Mane was lower owned and so forth he's a bigger differential any given week I'm always going to captain Salah over Mane but at the end of the season, when you want to get that final hit to try and get into that rank tier above or whatever it might be, maybe to beat a friend, then I'd possibly look at it. But after game week 12, no chance. No chance for me. I don't know if you think different, Anthony. No, I, I don't think differently, but that's having had a few differentials just burn me so badly this season that I, I find it very hard to uh, start talking about differentials in a positive light. I had a fairly early wild card. I had a good first two game weeks of the season and then pulled the wild card to get ahead of the fixture shifts and I genuinely still haven't recovered. And um, I can't help when I see Jack question, but just think of that particular problem. And I do think, as you say, if you can get on the template early and just keep taking the marginal gains, that is largely how you succeed in FPL. It's not very few people are able to pull off what late riser has pulled off in the past with you know upside chasing and taking on these kind of you know punty differentials that explode to life like i think the explosion explosive differential that you could be looking to at the moment isn't necessarily some low percentage owned player although there are probably a few out there it's probably actually swerving on the salah captaincy but that would be incredibly brave to do right now yeah um and so with that in mind yeah i think Jack, yes, we do overfocus on differentials, but I do think that there's there's a slight bit of um, a an FPL content industry triangle paradox here <laughs> that you have to start talking about the other options <laughs> in yeah. a given week. And so I think you know your Twitter, your content, your podcast, whatever it might be, tend to be talking about those other options. Um, but usually, implicitly in there, it's like here, here we are. We're about to probably start. We are definitely going to start talking about our transfers and captains. And I will probably wax lyrical about some other captaincy idea that I might have. But at the end of the day, I probably just won't do it, and I'll go with Salah because I will be punished if I don't do it. But that is because, as Andy said, I'm just picking the one who I think is going to get the points, as opposed to getting the one that everyone does. Although, in truth, I'm definitely thinking, Shocker. oh my god. I'm also definitely just going, oh, the EO is so high, I will just die if it goes wrong. I'll be a 2 million rank if um, Salah explodes and I don't cap him. So, to, yeah. give, to, to give just a little bit of context as well, like for, for his, in, obviously it didn't go very well, but in game week 12 at my rank, Kane was 42 point, it's too small, I think it's 66% owned. Uh, or effective ownership. Like to me, that is a huge differential. Someone like Kane, only 42% owned. That's mm-hmm. massive, right? I think the the problem with differentials, everyone's looking for that one, two, three, four, five percent. Like you get someone like Kane, maybe not Salah at the moment, but whoever, maybe Antonio gets sold in droves over the next few weeks and suddenly he's got Norwich, he's only 40% owned. That's massive. That's a huge differential. Like you don't often get opportunities to get like huge point swings from those kind of players. If Kane had braced that leads ownership would have gone up and suddenly yeah. the, the amount of points you get goes lower. So I think the number people are looking for 
like Chilwell is 44% owned. That seems pretty low to me for what he can deliver. Um, oh, sorry, 44% effective ownership. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think we need to look for these ultra, ultra differences. They're nice when they pay off. But I feel like some people get into like a cycle of chasing them. So it doesn't yeah. work. Well, I chase the next differential and then suddenly you're miles behind. I was literally just about to mention that. I think that it depends very much on your risk profile and it very much depends on the sort of person you are. Like for me, it's like chasing the dragon. Like I just love like when that kind of ultra differential pays off. Um, the problem is, as you say, it can mean that you've tied up a transfer or two because you haven't bought the obvious option. And in two weeks time, you're probably going to have to go, all right, Gundogan, goodbye. I'm buying Jota now because I've got to. Um, it is nice though. It's really nice when it pays off. It it's is. nice when you get that it moment. Is. I think that's kind of what I like a lot about FPL. Uh, plus the hashtag narrative these days and the hashtag content too um, can be nice, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, let's, let's move on to transfers and captains on that note um, just to see if we are you know, buying Uber differentials. Uh, what are we up to? Uh, Andy, teamers up front, looking quite solid. Are you looking at making any moves? Have you made any moves yet? I haven't. I, honestly, I think I have to roll. I think I have to go with that Reese James one more week. I just I talked about that minus four, and a lot of people will say it's the right move. But sending Antonio for a hit to get Reese James before he plays Man United, it just and I know I've got to get that out of my head because Man United are not the team they were at least not at the moment. Uh, and obviously, Chelsea could absolutely get a clean sheet, and James could absolutely get attacking returns with no Maguire, no Varane. Um, in that team, but I, I it just it doesn't the gut my gut is a minus four for Reese James this week doesn't sit right when I can do it for free next week. Um, so I'm not really planning any moves. The only one that kind of is, is in my head but again, it's one of the a bit like you said, I, I'm gonna talk about it and then not do it is Foden to Jota. Um, because Foden it's a little bit of outcome bias because I bought him and he's got three blanks in a row. Um, but I just think Joss is one of the best value players in the game when he's nailed and Southampton are, and like Liverpool are just, a, they feel like a step above everyone, even Man City to a certain extent, because you know who's going to get the points for Liverpool uh, and Jota's is definitely going to be involved. But I, I just think any move that involves selling Jimenez or Saka this week when they've got Norwich and Newcastle, like they're not, Saka in particular has not been great. Like Smith Rowe's outscored him since I bought him in. But I, it just feels like I've got to forget about all that and then realise he's playing Newcastle at home this week and then look to get rid of him next week. So I'm going to hope that Man United can score a goal this week. That is my hope. And I'm probably going to bank and Captain Salah because, come on. Yeah, you've got to, really. All right, Anthony, where are you about you? So I think I'm in a similar position to Andy in that I'm kind of hoping that Mr. Inevitable strikes for Man United and that just wipes out those Chelsea clean sheets and I have to survive um, a further week um, without a second Chelsea defender of any description um, to pair with Rudiger. So right now what I'm looking at is playing Guaita in goal because I don't actually have a second goalkeeper effectively. I'll play, I suspect I'll play four um, defenders this week. I'll leave Romento on the bench and have Cancel Rudiger, White and Trent Alexander-Arnold in midfield right now, how I have myself set up is I have Saka, a bit like Andy. This just isn't the week to sell him, in spite of the fact that my uh, finger is very much on the trigger because, like Andy, since I bought him in, ESR has outscored him and nearly matched him in value at this point as well, such has been the uh, popularity of him as a transfer in. And it's very frustrating. 
but I suspect with Newcastle at home, he will get another week. The Rafinha situation is kind of something that I'm monitoring. Just if that illness drags into a second week, I might just find an excuse to just can him. But um, overall, I feel like I do have decent options on the bench between um, Antonio and Livermento that I can absorb uh, another benching and maybe then I'd be just benefit more from the two free transfers. I have Salah who are captain. Son will obviously play. Tony and Gabriel Jesus will both play as well. Hoping that Jesus actually starts the coming weekend at home to West Ham. I really thought he'd even come off the bench at the weekend. I'm really, really surprised that he didn't and kind of would have backed him to get something coming off the bench. Um, but he did not. And I'll give Tony another week just purely because everything haven't really been much great chicks lately. And um, I think I'd kind of hope that he might find his way onto the score sheet there. Whilst Brentford have looked poor recently, they did have a decent turnaround in an attacking sense. Um in the game at the weekend against Brentford. And I think Brentford did that as much as anything because they've just got such a good coach there in Frank and that I think maybe that might continue to pay dividend um, for them in the coming weeks that the time he had over the international break to work with them may just mean that Tony's supply line kind of improves again. He just gets more chances. And like many strikers, you know, one can often lead to another. And I just hope that that does prove to be the case for him. Fair play. I mean, maybe the floodgates have opened after that lucky. Moment. I don't think it'll be floodgates. I, I think it's more just like the, <laughs> the you know tri- the, the trickle, the trickle. Gates. Yeah, yeah. The the shower has started to leak again. Drip, drip, drip. Mm. They switched formations as well, didn't they? I think Tony mm-hmm. instead of playing with the two, they play with Tony through the middle on his own. So maybe. Maybe that will help. I, I still think for the price, Tony's probably the best forward still. Uh, although I say that quietly because everyone. Josh King, him. Josh King. Yeah, it's, I know. It's Josh King season, Andrew. Josh King. Uh, sorry, I've, a Hindi monkey took over me for a second there. Anyway, um, we're all in the same boat basically. Uh, coming to my team um, for Andy buying in Reece James in two weeks. Read me looking to buy in Chilwell in two weeks. Uh, for Andy being tempted by Foden to Jota, read me looking at Gundo to Jota, depending on if he's injured or not, Jota that is. But rolling, I think for me, is 90% definite, um, unless there's a serious sort of issue that comes up this week. I, like Anthony, have Rafinha. That I'm kind of just kind of keeping a watch on. And the only question for me in my passe 3 4 3 this week is if uh, Dennis keeps his start in berth or whether Mbwemo um, starts over him. As you said, the formation changed, so I'm slightly less You're not playing Cody away to Norwich. No, no, I'm not because... Like, you know, like no, no, I'm not doing that. It's um, he's he's a he's a bench sub. That's all he's. That's what he's there for, Anthony. Um, I'd always play the attacking player. Um, basically, it's between. What about uh, Embomo over Antonio? In, in no, this... no, I, I, no. I, 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 what if the ball goes in off the post or goes in off the post off Jordan Pickford? I just feel like Mbwemo just has to score by just oh, right. the ball off yeah, the post and then hitting Pickford you know yeah, it's just like right. I feel like with Calamity Pickford it might actually happen in a way that it just wouldn't happen with anyone else I just feel like yeah, luck doesn't favour that man yeah so. I think the, 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 the moment I bench him is the moment he goes nuclear so um, I, I don't know I don't know this week I mean it, it's I think I'm going to try to contempt my mental space let no one be thinking about a transfer with who do I bench <laughs> like that's uh, how sad my brain is that I, that's what I'm going to be thinking about this week just to kind of uh, give myself a bit of methadone to the uh, stronger drug of thinking about a transfer right I think we are complete 
We are indeed. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We were Who Got the Assist. If you want to get something into the correspondence, you should send an email to whogottheassist at gmail.com. Or indeed, you can get us with a Twitter DM or WhatsApp or whatever is the way that you have access to us. YouTube, if you want to watch us instead of listen to us, you can just search WGTA or Who Got the Assist on YouTube and you will find the videos, which are a slightly longer form than the podcast as the podcast goes through an editing process, whereas the YouTube video is pretty much just raw as it was. If you want to join the Mini League 2IP43T is the code that you need. And Andy, thank you so much for joining us. You'll find Andy at Let's Talk underscore FPL. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Thanks, Andy, for coming on. Finally got you on after all these years. Let's not wait five years to the next time. Huh? Anyway, um, just a quick kind of thing as well. Um, a very cut down or maybe even no show uh, next weekend. Unfortunately, I'm in Manchester visiting my sister. Nick's away, so he can't cover. And Anthony may be away as well. Probably no YouTube, but almost definitely no YouTube. Um, a stripped down version of the pod with a monologue uh, may be what you'll get. Um, I'll keep you informed with a voice note anyway. Uh, sorry, it can happen at times. Uh, normally, we, we have people on standby all over the place. But just this one time, it just seems like the three of us are all incapacitated at once. But there you go. In the meantime, hope to assist you uh, think about strikers and how absolutely terrible they are. Hopefully there'll be a resurgence up front next game week. Good luck game week 13 and speak to you, if not next week, very, very soon. Goodbye. Oh. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Podcast Network.